Listeners, thanks for your patience. It's a holiday week, so things get a little crazy. On this week's episode, we talk about the new Smashing Pumpkins and our favorite vocalists. Will we overlap? Welcome to Wanderings and Wool Gathering, episode 12. Oh, the ubiquitous 12. The total number of hours in our day, the number of months in our year. 12 jurors make up a jury. There were 12 sons of Jacob who formed 12 tribes of Israel. And Jesus chose 12 strapping young lads to be his apostles. Terry Bradshaw, Roger Stallback, Tom Brady, and Aaron Rodgers all wore number 12. Can it be a coincidence? I think not. Episode 12 is destined for greatness, so here we go. I'm Foggy, and as always, I'm with T-Bags and JPP. Good evening, fellas. Good evening. Yo. How are we this weekend? Great. Yeah, it's been a great weekend so far. Yeah, I had a lot of fun. My daughter and I got a basket of her musical instruments out, and we recorded each one and sampled them, and then we threw them in some software and created some music. So it was nice to kind of get her toes wet in the realm of music production. Yeah, I saw your Instagram post. That was really cool. <laughs> Too fun. Now, will she be Will she be on a, a new album? Uh, you know, I, I don't think she'll be on the album per se, but we get together every once in a while when I can get her in here and uh, to do some vocals. She she has a single that we've been working on for some time. It's called Peanut okay. Butter. Eat it like this. Nice. I like it. <laughs> well, she might have the coolest dad on the planet. Uh, I, I don't know, but I definitely try to keep her creative when I can. Well, in 10 years, I'll send her this podcast a reminder she was cut from the album. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you go ahead and do that. She'll probably be glad. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> oh, I just... Uh, I can't remember everything that was done this weekend, but I know that my sports teams did really well. So Notre Dame, Colts, the Saints, um, no complaints here. Yeah, Colts are on a tear. My Blackhawks are now only one point out of the playoffs, which is good. And uh, IU Soccer just cleaned up four zip on their way to another national championship. So Nice. There are some good things going on. Now, it's a stretch, Stevie, but... Um... There is a chance that it could be a Colts Saints Super Bowl. That would be insane. Yeah, I'd love a but, rematch. Uh, I'll take it. I'll take it. Yes. <laughs> I win a bet if the Colts make the playoffs. So uh, that's all I'm really concerned about right now. Yeah. I'm not trying to jinx my Saints. So we'll just move on to the podcast. Fantastic. All right. So we're going to get right to the challenge. Uh, last week, we did our favorite guitarists. And uh, out of 15 possible slots, we had 14 different guitarists, which I thought was pretty cool. So um, this week, it's the four top vocalists, in your opinion. So we've got 12 possibilities. How many different singers will we have, guys? I can't do math, but a lot. This will be a, a fun one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll be interested to see what you guys have picked, because, uh, you know, my mine stayed pretty consistent this time around, but uh, there is one variable in there. So I'll be kind of curious to see how... Uh, how the pattern falls uh-huh. with uh, both of you as well. But before we get started, we have our first write-in uh, for one of our competitions, Blake Doris from Texas, longtime listener, no-time caller, <laughs> has sent in his four uh, top vocalists, and he has chosen as his four Freddie Mercury, Otis Redding, Elvis, and Chris Cornell. So that Sweet. is a super solid four. Um, I do not have any of those four. 
Well, I won't so, reveal if I do or not, but uh, I will say at the end of the at the end of the challenge, I'm going to throw in a friend of mine, uh, Kyle, that we work on music and we go way back. Um, he sent me by text his four, so we'll we'll bookend it with uh, viewer comments. Awesome. Yeah, and uh, the 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 four listed were very good, solid choices. So I definitely salute that uh, uh, that list as Sweet. well. Yeah, awesome. So looks like now we have a possibility of 20 different singers, so we will keep tally as we go. Okay. Okay, so we will get started with, since it was my challenge, I get to go last and have 50 choices. So we'll uh, start off here with uh, JPP round one. Who is your first of your group? I wish I had a cowbell in front of me because my top choice was Bruce Dickinson (laughs) of Iron Maiden. That guy can sing. You know, um, it's it's hard uh, to pick a list of top vocalists, but what I did basically was I just didn't think about it. I just went with the four names that just came to me because it's it's so subjective and trying to pick your favorite song, trying to pick your favorite guitarist. We know it's tough, and I really groveled on the, the last one just really thinking about it too hard, so I just went with my gut. And uh, I picked him because, A, He's a fantastic showman, great frontman for for Iron Maiden, and uh, he's always been consistent. They've been at it for so long, and they still perform like they did 20 years ago. Um, there's probably a lot of ibuprofen involved, but uh, you know it's it's certainly um, an incredible thing to see. I've never seen them live. They're coming around next year, and I would love to to go see them. So if I can at all make it possible, I certainly will. Um, you know, again, just great dynamic vocals, great, mm-hmm. um, you know, presence. And he's done some solo record stuff, too, that's been a lot of fun. And, uh, you know, you just can't go wrong. And he flies their plane, too. So, you know, he's a, a very well-rounded individual across the board. <laughs> I didn't know that part. I will say, yeah, he's a pilot now. I will say that's a great choice. I mean, not that it, not that my opinion is the end all be all, but when you're talking about that genre, to have somebody that has that kind of range and is amazing, you know. Uh, I think you, I tend to you, sometimes people tend to think of good vocalists as just being from a definitely outside of the metal genre. Yeah, and you know, again, just after all these years, there's been nothing but consistency. So uh, definitely top props for that yes. alone. Yeah, I saw they're going to be at Ruoff, so uh, outdoor show ought to be pretty cool. <laughs> Deer Creek. <Yeah. laughs> I know, I was trying to be up to date in case anybody's listening uh, knows what we're talking about. So, For the record, anytime somebody texts me about a show there, I'm going to call it Deer Creek because I'm not typing all that out. I don't know how to spell it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know how to spell it anyway. Yeah. I might call it Verizon by accident. <laughs> yeah, right. nothing like uh, switching from Klipsch <laughs> to that either. Yeah. yeah. It really rolls off the tongue. <laughs> um, all right tea bags well just like one. just like last week i'm working backwards so i'm assuming paul that wasn't your number one that was your number four yeah yeah my apologies i, I That's just right. i'm going in reverse order okay yep. um and and like you i just at some point in time i just gave up thinking about it because i mean if you start thinking even about i could go from i watch youtube so much that i could pick unsigned people that i feel like are some of the best vocalists out there you know Some of these people recording from their bedrooms Mm -hmm. are just, their vocal styles are amazing. But um, I'm just going with signed artists and people that kind of I've listened to. So number four, and I think her voice is something that is an instrument of itself, is uh, Sarah McLachlan. 
So, yeah, yeah, I think she, um, and I've seen her live and it's, uh, again, I go back to that a lot of times, you know, what, can you reproduce something live? Because I've certainly heard my fair share of singers that I paid good money for that didn't pull off what their studio version sounded like. Mm -hmm. But, um, but she just has that melodic, um, angelic voice that also, like I said, it sounds like an instrument. I've heard so many instruments where even the subtle things in the background that she's doing, um, just, yeah, or, you know, uh, it's something that you can, not a lot of people can pull off and she certainly had to just come up with it because she wrote the song. So that's my number Excellent. four. I, I'm down with that. I really wavered on her being on my list. It was so close to us sharing that one. Um, uh -huh. <laughs> she, uh, yeah, it's truly amazing. Uh, Fumbling Towards the Ecstasy is one of my all-time all favorite albums. So, yes, I give you full marks on your choice. Sweet, thank you. However, I cannot listen to. It was a song called "Eyes of the Angel," where they play for uh, when they show Humane Society ads oh, yeah. and things Arms like that. Arms of the Angel. Uh, Arms, I, yeah. Arms of the Angel. Yeah, <laughs> sorry. Um, it's funny because one of our dogs, he'll sit there and look kind of mopey <laughs> at me, and I'll pop that song on and play it and just stare at him for a few minutes just to you know, mess with my wife. But uh, yeah, I mean, top notch. She's, she's always had uh, a really good range, good vocals. And I like how she does kind of like the falsetto and, and really kind of changes, um, you know, in the middle yes. of a phrase too. So um, it's, it's a very powerful performance, even though it might not be, you know, an aggressive performance. Mm -hmm. Good point. All right, Steve, your challenge, right. your number four. All right, my number four. Are you guys ready? Are you on the edge of your seat? Ready. I am. My choice is Jim Cornelison. I don't know who that is. <laughs> yeah. I was kind of waiting for that. <laughs> he is on Twitter, anthem singer. He is the Chicago Blackhawks national anthem singer at okay. every home game. Okay. Uh, he brings down the house. Uh -huh. It is a something, it's a spectacle that you have to be there to understand the power of the song and what goes on in there. Right. Um, and last year he took over for Jim Neighbors um, at the Indy 500. Oh, sweet. So um, he's a IU grad, 93, same as me. Good uh -huh. man. Um, I didn't know him in college, so I can't really claim that. <laughs> um, he is a really good dude, though. He, uh, I saw him at the Blackhawks convention. He stopped, took some time to talk, do pictures. Um, and then it, I was at the game a couple weeks ago, Somebody tweeted, where are you? I'd love to have a picture with you. And on his Twitter, he said, meet me at this place this time in the state. I mean, publicly telling people where he is to come get a picture. That's crazy. What a, wow. Just a super guy. And um, the other reason I love the way that he sings the anthem, I cannot stand people who decide to make the anthem their own <laughs> and do runs and go off and go crazy. That's not what it's for. And mm -hmm. uh, so... Kudos to him for sticking to it, being powerful, and bringing it home. Let me just add, the way Fergie delivered oh, the national anthem my at the All-Star Game, man, <laughs> I, you know, we're on a level uh, like no yes. other. Don't like Roseanne? And by like no <laughs> other, I'm talking, you know, I, I have to go wash my shoes <laughs> off. Don't give away my number one, Paul. <laughs> oh, my <I'm> gosh, <laughs> Have you seen the meme? Well, I say the meme, but uh, the video that where somebody pitch corrected her and and uh, turned her kind of um, vocal musings into uh, all star oh, Smash no. Mouth. But oh, I must it's, see that. it's internet gold. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm looking this guy up, Steve. That you and uh, definitely we'll, we'll give it a listen after we record. Fantastic. I'll put one of the. Uh, it's on there. It's on uh, YouTube. I can put a link so you can actually watch 
everybody just cheers and goes nuts, and uh, it's it's cool. You know what's missing from uh, like a uh, Star Spangled Banner at a hockey game? What's that? It's flyovers. Well, they need to find a way to get some F-15s. <laughs> they they have fly unders at the <laughs> fuel game. Do they really? Uh, they have a big blow up thing that goes around. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, that's remote controlled. I don't know if we should talk about this on the podcast because it's a marketing opportunity, but Tony, you and I need to get F-15 drones and start flying them in the stadiums. There you go. <laughs> All right. Well, this this proves that we thought of it. That's right. Okay, cool. <laughs> All right. All right. All right, round two. We are up to JPP. JPP. Who is that guy? Hey, I went with Bruce Dickinson. It's only logical that I pick Ronnie James Dio in the fold as well. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. My gosh. That was a dude that delivered as well. Um, again, consistency, you know, through to the mm-hmm. end. Great songs. What he did with uh, the second era of Sabbath was incredible. Incredible too. Heaven and Hell and and uh, you know Rainbow in the Dark and you know it, it's funny because when I was getting into metal at the time, I I loved Maiden. Listened to them quite a bit. It was my brother's fault. He got me into Peace mm-hmm. of Mind. And uh, he taught me the power chord uh, and how to play that with uh, some Maiden tunes, as a matter of fact. So that's what kind of got me started on those riffs and and whatnot. But uh, um, again, I didn't really seek out Sabbath a lot at the time. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, a lot of it was because I felt like Sabbath wasn't heavy Uh enough. Um, As far as the distortion tone, I was seeking that perfect saturated distortion and uh, ultimately learned that that was not a journey w- worth keeping because it just got noisy and nasty. <laughs> um, fell in love with Iomi and, and the gang after that. But uh, when I heard after Ozzy was out of Sabbath, uh, you know, as far as like when I was studying their biography at that time, and it's like, man, how could Sabbath go on without Ozzy? And then I, who's this Ronnie James Dio fella? <laughs> Oh my gosh. Okay. I see what you're driving at. And it's like, oh, he did Rainbow in the Dark and all this. And then, um, you know, I was in that rabbit hole as well. Always had killer musicians with him. Um, you know, he sang on top of it beautifully. And, uh, you know, he's definitely missed in the metal community. And the tribute album that they did for him was really fantastic as well. There's a lot of great artists. I believe Corey Taylor's on there, Hetfield's on there. Um, you know, the list goes on and on. I need to look it up, but I'll put a link in the show notes for sure. Um, you know, certainly a, a missed icon in the metal vocal community. Yeah. Another solid choice, man. <laughs> You're coming at it with this heavy metal, and I'm like, Sarah McLaughlin? But, um... <laughs> no, that's all right. But, I mean, we, we need that because, you know, when it comes to vocals, there it's all subjective, yeah. much like our favorite guitarists, mm-hmm. right? Um, I went at it with jazz last week, but, um, you know, there's certainly people who really have embraced how their voice yeah. works and they're able to, you know, kind of be their true self and express themselves. Mm-hmm. And it's very enviable because, you know, I work hard on, on vocals when I do sing, but I still feel like that 13 year old kid <laughs> that's trying to get it all figured yeah, out. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, so it, no, this is, this is great. And it's, I'm glad you picked Sarah McLaughlin because that's a very, very noteworthy choice. Well, as is Dio. I mean, and the funny thing is too, I've heard you several times on our podcast say like someone would introduce you to something and it was scary and you loved it you know and that it was kind Mm -hmm. of like a precursor that paul's gonna love it if he's afraid of it at first and my actually the first thing i heard about dio was did you know if you turn their logo upside down it spelled devil and i was like oh (laughs) let me check that out because i was into the art just the art side of things anyway but then i started listening to Dio, and um you know it's fantastic Uh, both of those bands uh, iron maiden and dio were 
on my <laughs> in rotation back in the day for sure. Sweet. Good choice. All right, round round two, tea bags. Okay. Um, well, in true tea bags fashion, I thought, how can I get a loophole going here? And um, so I figured if you put a slash between names, it's only one. It only counts for one. <laughs> yes, thanks. Nice. So, Robert Plant slash Freddie Mercury. Um, I went back and forth between those two because I felt like it's unmistakable as soon as you hear them sing. And they are technically great in their own right for what they do. And um, so I couldn't really decide. You know, I'd take Freddie Mercury off, then I'd take Robert Plant off and go back and forth. So Robert Plant slash Freddie Mercury. And um, I don't know. I mean, Freddie Mercury, not that not the Queen ever went away, but this resurgence of, I think I heard the other day on the news that they are actually back on the charts again because of the soundtrack of the movie that's out. Excellent. And then Steve, like you mentioned the other day, or last last week, um, you know, people listen to Zeppelin now. Like Clay, your son is listening to Zeppelin, and you know, it's just timeless. And so, I don't know. I went back and watched them. As I went and back watched live performances, trying to make a decision, and I couldn't make a decision because they were both so fantastic. Yeah, that is, that is tough. Um, you know, Freddie's definitely a different skill set to, to Robert mm-hmm. Plant. Um, especially in the studio with all the layering of the vocals and just the 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 forethought into the the arrangement and the composition of the tunes, mm-hmm. uh, incredible. Uh, but you know Robert Plant as a frontman, you know especially in a time when they didn't have vocalists who were that vocal, <laughs> if you will. Yeah. You know what I mean? I mean, of course, yeah. There was guys that were loud and and um, definitely were belting it out. But, you know, what he did with Zeppelin, I mean, if you put somebody else in, in that spot, it, it would be tough to say that they would be who they were. You know totally. what I mean? Um you know, same with Freddie for that matter. But no, that's that's uh, uh, I'll allow it. Okay, you know, thanks. as far as the uh, <laughs> the two four, because um, you know, classic icons across the board. And you know, it's funny we we've been kind of hearing Queen a lot more lately. My wife gets all pumped up because she absolutely loves them mm-hmm. for one. But uh, um, every time I hear "Don't Stop Me Now," I can't help but think of. Uh, Shaun of the Dead when <laughs> they're in the pub and they're, tr- they're realizing that, uh, you know, they're surrounded and they're clubbing zombies and stuff. It's like, that's a great song for this moment. So um, it, it just goes to show that Queen can, you know, turn any mood, you know, turn that frown upside down in any situation, even if there's zombies exactly. present. There you go. <laughs> Follow that up, Steve. Yeah. Jeez, if Tony's adding rules when he's not even the uh, challenger, I can imagine how long <laughs> his list is going to be next week. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> All right. Uh, for my next pick, I went with the chairman, Frank Sinatra. Nice. So who loves you, baby? Wait, that's Telly Savalas, <laughs> but still, now they're all old dudes that are dead. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh man, too soon. <laughs> Way too soon. Oh snap. Well, I mean, I Frank just goes without saying. I mean, probably one of the coolest guys on the planet. Ties to the mob, probably. All kinds of crazy backstory. Mm-hmm. Um, did have that amazing voice, that presence. And, um, mm-hmm. and he, of course, influenced so many people who came after. I mean, all of the people who croon. Um, where would... Uh, oh, gosh, his name is uh, eluding. Well, Michael Buble, I think, has a little bit of that. Mm-hmm. Um, Harry Connick Jr., um, obviously when he came out with, uh, the, when Harry met Sally soundtrack, which was just amazing, obviously that's a direct mm-hmm. reflection of, of what Frank had done before that. Um, he's just amazing. I mean, uh, 
of course, New York, New York, everybody loves that. But I mean, he could even bring in those sad, you know, send in the clowns. And, mm. you know, for somebody like me who doesn't typically listen to music like that, it's gold when he sings it. Um, and I think he just inspired so many people. So he is my number two or three, depending on how you look at it. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, uh, Seth MacFarlane, uh, the creator of Family Guy, I, I don't know if you've heard him crew, yes, but it's it's almost 90% for, uh, Sinatra all the way. It's it's fantastic. Yeah, and he had such style, too. I think that, I mean, his voice was, but he, like we keep talking about these front men, and he, but he carried his own, like, swagger, you know? Anyway, and maybe that's easy to do when yeah. you have the mob behind you. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> Also, too, I'll put a link in the show notes. There's a great um, YouTube link where Don Rickles crashes the party on Johnny Carson and Frank's the guest. Mm. And uh, they start kind of talking and bantering. And (laughs) Don tells Frank that he's on a date with the girl. And he was like, hey, man, would you mind coming by and saying hi? She doesn't believe me that I I know you. And I'm, you know, trying to impress her. And uh, so Frank's like, yeah, I'm I'm about finished. I'll come by. And as he walks by the booth, he says, hey, Don, how are you? And Frank's like, yeah. And Don's like, hey, Frank, can't you see I'm trying to eat? What are you doing bothering me? (laughs) You know, just totally trolling him and stuff. But it's just really cool to see, you know, you you see Frank Sinatra singing and you see the the performance and and just the stage man. Mm -hmm. But to kind of see his personality where he's just casual, cool, calm. I mean, it's just awesome to see, you know, he, he definitely lived his best life and, and uh, you know, defined an era of music. One thing that fascinated me about Sinatra, mm-hmm. too, was the fact that, of course, you know, his style was always there, but he was never... I, I shouldn't say never, but like when it came in time for him to come in and stuff like that, I never felt like he was definitely hard pressed on the first beat or anything like that. There was certainly a kind of a, a casual approach to the vocal phrases and stuff mm-hmm. too, and it just really fit nicely. And the band always played along with it very, very well. Yeah. So, um, and sorry, you know, we can edit this out if we need to, but I got one last story that I heard from a guitar player. Um, there was a clinician that came into a store that I worked at. Um, his name is Doyle Dykes, and uh, apparently he had the opportunity to perform at a show where Frank was involved, and uh, he's in the, the band, and, and everybody's sitting there, and Frank's just kind of noodling on a piano. The conductor says, hey, Frank, can you give me an A so I can tune the band? Frank didn't know the note. He didn't know the, huh. the you know, the physical notes, so he just kind of looked around and boom, hit a note, and uh, the conductor's like, uh, I'm sorry, Frank, that's not an A. And he said... A bodyguard comes from behind the curtain, pulls it open. Hey, if Frank says it's an A, it's an A. And everybody starts scrambling, trying to tune. That's great. I love that. And then uh, Steve mentioned Michael Bublé. You guys, I'm sure you've seen this, but I'm mentioning it so we can throw it up on the on the Facebook page. But have you seen the meme that says, any day now Michael Bublé will emerge from his den where he sleeps 10 months out of the year to signify the beginning of Christmas? <laughs> yes. <laughs> awesome. That that was hilarious. I, I sent that to my wife, and and you know she definitely chuckled. She loves Buble. Yeah. Um, she wanted me to go see him live with her, and I I wasn't feeling it at the time. Her brother went, and to be honest with you, I completely regret it because she said it was a fantastic show, and and uh, the the videos I've seen of him performing, his band is incredible too. So you know, hopefully next time we'll get to catch him on on his next uh, go around. Preferably, preferably um, at a time where it's not just Christmas when he's actually doing, you know, kind of a full yeah. tour of, a, of an album. Cool. Sweet. You're up. JPB. Me? Yes, yeah. you. Oh. 
I'm sorry, I was just spacing out. I, I hadn't talked for a while. <laughs> All right, number three on my list. We talked about this guy last week, actually. T-Bags mentioned him. Uh, Devin Townsend. Um, he's a fantastic guitarist. Definitely was an honorable mention for that. But as a vocalist, holy cow. This guy is is a nuthouse, uh-huh. and uh, in a good way. He can sing very melodically. He can scream, he can get low, he can get really super high range, and uh, he he does it very, very well. His songs are kind of all over the map in that regard. It's kind of uh, uh, kind of a crazy circus, if yeah. you will. He, uh, he had a band called Strapping Young Lad uh, for several years, and he kind of uh, folded that and went on to um, kind of the Devin Townsend project now. And he said that the subject matter of Strapping Young Lad was more kind of negative and heavy and that kind of thing, and it really affected him. So even though he still writes heavy music, he writes about more uplifting things, and it certainly kind of helps him. Uh, And he has more diversity involved. He has a a female vocalist that comes on tour with him and and does backing vocals and partial leads and things. And it certainly, he, he has more room to play because the the music certainly allows him to do so and um his voice just complements it all wonderfully i'll put a link in the show notes too but there's a great video of him performing for a guitar pickup company it's just him and his guitar with a playback track but it just really speaks to his personality there's this part where um he's doing a solo and it's nothing really fancy it's just more of a melody and he's like oh yeah and he's just kind of acting like uh you know it was such hard work and um i think at the beginning of it he says something like we're going to do a second take because you guys messed up it wasn't me i did it perfectly or you know it was something to that extent and it's just you know him goofing off the whole time he just really has a good time with it and as a front man, that I feel like you know that's what's awesome too. The the voice uh-huh. is good as well as uh, just the entertainment value of it. Um, you know that certainly uh, is, makes it it makes a good impression on me is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, his sense of humor is is awesome. If you do get to see some of those live videos online, he you can tell when he's just having fun and and not making fun of himself, but you know what I mean, just kind of not taking himself mm-hmm. too seriously. But yeah, he's between guitar and vocals, I think he's fantastic too. Absolutely. We are definitely pulling in a wide variety of singers here. Yeah. That, that, <laughs> I thought we might go on a, that's awesome. a more clear path this time, but no, we're not even close. Yeah. That's all uh, <laughs> cool. all different singers, right, so far? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. So my my number two, since, you know, whatever, we're working down towards our number one. Um, and I mentioned this guy last week. Kind of ironic that you said that, Paul, that we were talking about last week with guitars, but... Um, Prince has one of the most uh, wide range and styles of vocals I think out there and um, mm-hmm. I don't think I really fully appreciated that for a long time I mean I grew up listening to Prince because my older sister listened to him and then as I got more into music and understanding and appreciating how it all worked um, then I started to really appreciate him as a musician but as a vocalist I remember finding during the Napster times finding a live version of nothing compares to you which is you know obviously his song originally and um he he's doing a duet with someone and i'm not sure i can't remember her name but um he goes all over the place i mean it's controlled and it, it's it's low when it mm-hmm. needs to be and it's high when it needs to be but as far as showing off where he can go um i definitely need to put that in the show notes because that was the one that was like mind-blowing to me 
Very cool. Sweet. I definitely want to check yeah. that out. Do you guys um do you watch Blackish? I don't. I don't. It's one of those shows that I never miss. We record it and watch it every week. And they do a lot of themed episodes and last week's theme was Prince. Mm-hmm. And basically the kids walk in on the parents and the grandparents singing Prince. <laughs> And so the whole show is about making sure that the kids understand the importance of Prince mm-hmm. and trying to like turn them onto Prince. And it was uh, it was really cool the way that they did it. So okay, great tribute. Nice. <clears throat> <laughs> I'll have to check that out. I've seen a few episodes. Um, it is it is a good show. I just I haven't followed it as strictly as you have. All right, Steve, number two. All right, um, I went old school again. I went with Sam Cooke. Mm. To oh, to nice. me, Sam has the perfect voice. Um, I, I know I kind of mentioned this earlier, and, and I know Tony, I'm teabag, sorry. I've talked to you about this before, too. <laughs> but I just, something about when people work too hard to sing, and they got to do the runs and hit the notes, and um, sometimes mm-hmm. just a really smooth voice is just perfect. When you got it, you got it. And... Um, for me, Sam Cooke is that guy. Um, songs like You Send Me or What a Wonderful World, I mean, those are just uh, brilliant songs. I think probably he wasn't even that popular till Animal House <laughs> would be my guess uh, yeah. when songs are featured there. But uh, uh, he is my number two, and I think even though he's not number one on my list, he probably is my choice for the best singer of all time. Yeah, nice. that's, that's a really good choice, and I, I don't know... Well, I never thought of that, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of speechless because that he is so good. Good job, Steve. Yeah, and again, tragically ended early, as my first choice was. You know, it's so sad when you got these people with all this immense talent. Yeah, and it's just taken before they have a chance to really expand. And I don't know. I know. I mean, it's one thing sad. to say like we got left behind good music and we were able to experience them and that kind of stuff, but you can't help but wonder where they'd be, especially artists. I feel like that, um, died too early, but had they lived on, they would have crossed over into this digital era, you know, where so many Mm -hmm. people could have been exposed to their new stuff and, and interacted with them as an artist or whatever. But yeah. Right. That is sad. How did he die? He was killed by his girlfriend, I believe. Shot. Jeez. Okay. Snap. Well, so, Yes. All right, that brings us to the final round. Yes. Our top choice for vocalist. Bring it home, JP. P. Uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> I had my head in the oven there um, after we got pulled down. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, I think I snorted a little bit on that one. Sorry, listeners. I didn't mean to have the nerd laugh, but my number one pick, my actual number one mm-hmm. pick, this. uh Lady from Iceland by the name oh, of Bjork. Yes. <laughs> she is uh, hands down probably one of my all-time favorite mm-hmm. vocalists. Um, you know, she has is it's quirky. It's certainly um, you know, she she definitely has her own unique mannerisms. She can really get uh kind of gritty when she's playing with the dynamics. Um, as a composer and an artist, she's definitely out there. I love that mm-hmm. about her. Um, I've actually got a Betty Boop-esque uh, caricature of her tattooed on my leg, as a matter of fact. Mm-hmm. Um, twofold. Reason one, my grandpa had a Betty Boop tattoo on his arm, and it was kind of a tribute to him and, and her at the same time. So um, 
you know, she's definitely left uh, a mark on me in that regard as far as music mm-hmm. goes. Uh, she had a, a project called Glinglo, which was a three-piece jazz band. Can't go wrong with the Sugar Cubes. Her solo career has been all over the place. And, you know, just she does amazing things in, in terms of uh, using technology and, and uh, you know, music. But nonetheless, her voice is always a, a really welcomed part of what she does. Um, so, you know, that's long and short Bjork. She just always hits me whenever I listen to it. It's kind of like that movie where you, you have a movie that you might not call it your favorite, but you see it on TV. It's being syndicated and it's like, Oh, I've got five minutes. I'll sit down and watch a second. And then you finish the whole film. Um, (laughs) That's Bjork's that way with me. It's like I happen to uh, scroll through my playlist and she comes on. It's it's going to stay on for a while because uh, I just automatically gravitate to her, to what she does. Yeah. So, Bjork. Oh uh, yeah, she is fantastically weird, <laughs> and yes, I, I love the fact that she we've and we've talked about this episodes ago too. Like that sometimes an artist is just doing what they're doing anyway, and it happens that the spotlight gets you know shown on them. And I feel like that's what you know she's had her. She's come in and out of the spotlight, I guess, in the popular culture, but she's always been doing her thing, mm-hmm. and she is so talented. I agree. Her, yeah. Yeah, and she always has fantastic musicians and just a really interesting uh, stage mm-hmm. performance. That's, of course, if I have an opportunity to see her live, I'd love to. I've actually tried to pursue tickets. They sell out so dang fast, I don't have a chance to ever get anything. And then, of course, you try to look for you know maybe last-minute available tickets, mm-hmm. and I'm sorry. I just don't have the budget to uh, pay four digits for a nosebleed. Yes. You know I mean? so. Well, when we're famous from this podcast, you can just request tickets and they'll appear. Yeah, I, I know a guy. We're starting <laughs> Patreon next week. Yes. Sweet. We'll be sending you, Paul. It'll be your first assignment. Yes. Very good. Man on the road. I guess I'm up, right? T-bags. Yes. Yeah. Um, I had to go with my slash again. Not slash the guitarist, but um, because I couldn't <laughs> JBP, decide. JBP, in case you're wondering, these are the top six <laughs> vocalists. Yes. yes. No, I just couldn't tell. I couldn't tell which one I like uh... better, for sure. I like them both, and they perform together. But I couldn't tell if I liked Millie or Vanilli better. <laughs> so, I want I want to know where the showbiz uh, lead singer is <laughs> figuring into all this. Honorable mention. Um, no, actually, I don't have a slash for the first one. The first one for me was when you announced the challenge last week. I was like, I know who it is. It was filling in the others that were hard, but he, Maynard James Keenan. Um, I'm not surprised. Yeah, and it's a personal <laughs> preference thing. I mean, not that he's not wildly talented anyway but you know there's Mm -hmm. people in my honorable mentions that you know have just as much technical talent but when i was looking at maynard's body of work and the fact that he um can do three different bands successfully as well in almost three different styles right but he can do you know things like uh you know, the, the hardcore Tool songs all the way to like a Humbling River song from Pusifer to songs like The Package on A Perfect Circle where he's got two different styles going at the same time. Um, so he can really embody like a character. But one thing I love about him as a vocalist too, and he's writing his own lyrics, obviously, he breaks up his sentences in the weirdest way. And, and he can mm-hmm. just make a song work, even if... Um, so my friend Kyle that I was talking about that I'll read his list later, 
you know, I'll write something. I can't sing for anything. I literally just cannot sing. I'll sing and it sounds good and I'll record it and I play it back and it's horrible. So, <laughs> uh, so I've learned, so I'll just write the lyrics and I'll have somebody else sing it. So I'll, I'll hand my lyrics over to Kyle and he'll say, man, this is just like, there's too many words right here, you know? And I have to trust him because he's a, he's a vocalist, but then he probably gets sick of me saying this, but I'm like, yeah, but Maynard can do it, <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, I mean. No pressure. Yes. Well, and Lateralis, the, the title track from that album, you know, the, when he wrote on the Fibonacci sequence and wrote so that the syllables match the Fibonacci sequence. Um, say that 10 I times I can't say it fast. once. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> but uh, anyway, I could go on and on and on, but I have seen him in every incarnation of the bands that they're in. And so he can pull it off live. He passes that test for me. But I've also listened to um, just the subtle nuances too. They're behind things. He's very technical. He they also covered Bohemian Rhapsody, by the way. Check that out sometime. But um, yeah. there's a song called um, "Wings for Marie." Um, it, it's a it's a two part song uh, about his mother, and there's a part towards the end that he's doing his own backing vocals. That they're so buried back there, but get a good set of headphones, and it's so worth it. So. Anyway, I can go on and on and on, but Maynard James Keenan, Maynard James Keenan, hands down, is my number one. Very cool. You know, you were talking about, you know, the way he puts lyrics in rhythmically and whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one of the interesting things about A Perfect Circle uh, overall is they, a lot of their songs are in 6-8 instead of a typical 4-4, four, mm-hmm. four, um, you, know, you know, as far as the rhythmic meter goes. And so, you know, to hear him deliver lyrics on top of that kind of meter is also very interesting. I mean, you, of course, with Tool, there's not, um, you know, a solid 4-4. Four, four. There's going to be all sorts of polyrhythmic things mm-hmm. going on. So, you know, when he has something that's a little more consistent, he definitely, it shows that he plays with that a lot, lot more. You know what right. I mean? So, um, no, that's a, that's a very valid choice. I mean, I knew that he was going to be in your list in some <laughs> degree, um, you know, some way, shape, or form, but, um, you know, it's, it's very cool to see um, you know, a vocalist like him he kind of exist. You know, in fact, when, when my wife and I first started dating in college, uh, she wasn't a big fan of metal or anything like that. So that was certainly one of those opposites, you know, opposite components that we had going on. But she had the first Perfect Circle CD, and uh, she just said, you know, I, I like his voice because he's not screaming and just shouting and making a lot of noise he definitely has a a nice rich vocal quality and she was going to school for for vocals at the time and uh so that really stuck out to me and and uh, you know anytime i would play tool or uh, pussifer and stuff like that i mean she's definitely more into tool and a perfect circle Mm -hmm. but you know she definitely appreciates his vocal quality you know as an outsider to metal per se or or rock and things like that yeah and uh, last thing i'll say about that because that that idea that someone outside of the like diehard fans can appreciate it. I've been watching a lot of reaction videos online and it's funny to see like hip hop people and other things, listen to tool and like fall in love and they, everybody gets stuck on like, who is this Maynard guy? You know? And they just, they appreciate mm-hmm. his voice. They appreciate his phrasing, his wit. And you know, sometimes it's super deep and sometimes it's triple meanings and all of that kind of stuff. So anyway, all in all, you know, all yeah. encompassing. He's, he's one of my tops. Well played. Thank you. Stevie, you're number one. Before my number one, I got to be honest with you, mm-hmm. between the two of us, T-Bags, I am shocked that Chris Cornell 
nor Eddie Vedder made an appearance. I know. It seemed like really logical choices, and we both went other routes. They could have easily made mine. Um, mm-hmm. I did think about it before going more classical route. Um, but yeah, I'm a little surprised. Yeah, and that, I mean, I struggled with that one too, especially Chris. Eddie, I think there's a period of time where I liked his voice more than you know, than I did later on in, mm-hmm. in this career. But uh, you listen to Chris Cornell now, and it's uh, it's hard to not say that he's, you know, a top-notch vocalist. But I, I had to pare it down, otherwise you guys would kill me. Exactly. So, yes. uh, one, one, one point two, one point three, one point. <laughs> Could have gone all day. Yeah. Our... Subpart A. <laughs> okay. So my number one was Jeff Buckley, mm. um, otherwise known as the Hallelujah Guy, <laughs> which really drives me batty. I'm sure. Um, it, yeah. I mean, if you ever watch any of those. Sh- you know, performance shows like American Idol and The Voice and all that. Whenever anybody tries to sing that song, they always try to emulate him. And he just became known as that guy, which is too bad because that's, obviously that's him, but that's not who he was, you know? I mean, he was so talented. He was a true kind of free spirit when it came to music. Um, If you watch any of his live stuff, you'll see that. He's just such an amazing, was such an amazing talent. He died really young too, drowned in a river. Um but he had, you know, kind of an eclectic style. He had radio songs like Last Goodbye, which could have been played anywhere. And then he um, had some different songs, really flexed his, his musical muscle with uh, Corpus Christi Carol or uh, Lover You Should Have Come Over. Um, and then one of my all-time favorites, and I still think I'll have this played at my funeral. Well, I won't because I won't be there, but... Hopefully somebody will play it for me, but he does a live version on the radio of Satisfied Mind. It's so good, so amazing. You can find that on um, My Sweetheart the Drunk um, album that came out posthumously um, with some of his recordings that weren't quite finished. Um, I just want to read, this is how he described his music, and I thought this was pretty cool. Um, He said that his music is, quote, Low-down, dreamy bit of the psyche. It's part quagmire, part structure. The quagmire is important for things to grow in. Do you ever have one of those memories where you think you remember a taste or a feel of something, maybe an object, but the feeling is so bizarre and imperceptible that you just can't quite get a hold of it? Drives you crazy? That's my musical aesthetic, just the imperceptible fleeting memory. The beauty of it now is that I can record it onto a disc or play it live. It's entirely surreal. It's like there's a guard at the gate of your memory, and you're not supposed to remember certain things because you can only obtain the full experience by completely going under its power. You can be destroyed or scarred. You don't know. It's like dying. So that is my final word on Jeff. Well, no, I have one more word on him, actually. This will be my point one on number one. (laughs) Um, He inspired heavily Connor Mason from Nothing But Thieves, who was probably my... My new favorite vocalist that's come out in the past, I don't know, for me anyway, three or so years ago. Uh-huh. Um, he's kind of picked up that mantle, and he has done a cover of Buckley's Lover You Should Have Come Over that is absolutely amazing. So um, now that was my final word on Jeff Buckley. Well, I, I, I have to jump in because, I mean, obviously, total great choice there, but... Uh, what you read, I'm just kind of a sucker for that to hear what the artists think of their, hear what the artists think of art in general and why they're creating, 
and what their mindset is, which is hard to frame in sometimes, I think. But that was so cool. How he, what he said that was uh, that was something I think I want to go go back and reread. Um, I don't know. I'd never heard that, so yeah, I appreciate sure. you sharing that part. Yes, I will Agreed. send you a copy of that or put it in the show notes as well. Okay, and it also kind Sweet. of reminded me a little bit of uh, Stephen Wright, the comedian. He said mm-hmm. one time somebody said something like, "What's it?" Uh, how are you feeling? He said, you know, when you lean back in a chair and then you lean back a little bit too far and you almost fall and then you catch yourself and then you lean forward. That's how I feel all the time. <laughs> That's what he said. <laughs> so uh, the idea of that whole quagmire and, and thing in music, that's pretty cool. All right. So that's our picks. What is, uh, what does Kyle have for us? Yes. Let me pull it up. Uh, in the meantime, well, before we get to that, did anybody, I had some honorable mentions. They're very quick. I'm not going to go into them, but I'm not going to go into details. Yeah, same here. But I had a couple sure. honorable mentions. Um, Chris Cornell was one of them, actually, Steve, mm-hmm. that you mentioned. Um, Michael Jackson was one of them. Um, Etta James, man, it was hard pressed not to like flip mm-hmm. flop her and Sarah. But, um, and then uh, I, Lane Staley, I thought he was technically good and, and, had one of those voices too. So those are my four honorable mentions. Yeah, I've got, I've got a laundry list. I'll just kind of run through them. Um, I also had Chris Cornell on there. I had Tori Amos uh, as an honorable mm-hmm. mention, uh, just because Maynard hit my honorable mentions as well. I put Hetfield on there just because he definitely is just a solid vocalist. He's just fun to listen to James Brown because I mean, it's just, uh, you know, He's a sex machine. <laughs> Say no more. Uh, Glenn Danzig. He certainly had a really cool, uh, vin- you know, has I should say. He's still with us. I'm sorry to put him in the past yeah. tense, but um, you know, a lot, lot of vintage vibe going on with the punk and, and the rock thing too. Bing Crosby. Uh, you know, a very fun voice to listen to it th- during the holidays. Uh-huh. Lady Gaga. We went into her a little bit last week as well with you know, performing with Metallica and things. It's uh, you know, very cool to uh, hear her do a wide array of things. I, I don't remember if we talked about her last week, but recently we did mention her. I think it was, uh, what well, was the, the movie? Um, you know, we talked about it yeah. for sure. Um, Al Green made my list. And then lastly, I, w- I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him, but Charles Bradley, he's no longer with us. Um, he did a, a cover of Black Sabbath's uh, Changes that was incredible. Yeah. has kind of a Motown, kind of a slow um, vibe to it. And um, fantastic. I'll put it in the show notes for sure. Um, He was 68 when he passed. So um, I was not familiar with him until uh, I saw a viral link of that cover. But, uh, you know, I'm I'm sad to say that that he's gone because he has a fantastic voice. That cover was beautiful. And I was looking forward to a lot more from him. But unfortunately, that happens in life. Mm -hmm. So that's my laundry list. Good ones. Stevie? All right. Uh, Chris Cornell? Lane Staley, as you said. Um, Stevie Ray Vaughan, which was on my guitar list last week as well. Uh, Paul, Mm -hmm. I agree with uh, Tori Amos, and I would add Fiona Apple to that. She's nice. She reminds me, too, a lot of Bjork, and it's just the quirkiness of the way that she sings. Um, Yeah. Just love her voice. Uh, Corey Taylor, uh, he can growl, he can Mm -hmm. sing, hit like five and a half octaves, he he can (laughs) do it all. Uh, James Taylor. Yeah. Um, seems a little odd on this list, but hey, whatever. Ian Asbury no. from The Cult. Loved it back oh, in the day. Yeah. Uh, Jim Morrison. Yes. Uh, little band called The Doors for you kids out there. <laughs> and uh, Bob Dylan. Bob which, Dylan as a vocalist? Yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, why not? <laughs> well, <laughs> all right then. I'm sure that if anybody ever hears that, I'll I'll get flack for that. But <laughs> Bob Dylan's the only person that made me have hope that I could say. <laughs> um, but uh, and I wanted to throw. Uh, you know, in he's it. one of those guys like Mick Jagger, who I don't think are great singers, but just sound great. Or Lou Reed. Yeah. You know what I mean? They mm-hmm. they sound great. Or Billy Corgan, for that matter. Not a great mm-hmm. singer necessarily, but sounds great with what they're doing. Yeah. So I feel the same way about Trent. I mean, I feel like and he, he's had his own voice for a lot of years, but um, it's not technical in any way, but he knows how to arrange the song and make his voice be what it needs to be for each song. So um, right. I want to throw on my, since you guys, your laundry list was longer. Uh, I also, I just narrowed mine down to four because I was trying to play by the rules, guys. But uh the other, yeah, <laughs> For the other honorable to mention. be outdone. <laughs> yeah, not to be No, I just wanted to throw on there Damien Rice. He's I've seen him mm-hmm. live and I love him and uh, he's mm-hmm. a great vocalist and he's covered Hallelujah too. Uh, who hasn't? But it's a, it's worth checking out. Okay, so Kyle um, texted me and when I was telling him that we were doing this challenge and he was all about it and so his top four in reverse order. <laughs> at one time he said Joey McIntyre, but I'm pretty sure he was kidding. Um, <laughs> Chris Cornell was number four. Um, Sam Harris from X Ambassadors, number three. Jeff Buckley, number two. And Whitney Houston, number one. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, my w- wife would agree with the number one on his pick. She's a big yeah. Whitney fan mm. for sure. It's hard to so. deny her voice, and, obviously. And, oh, yeah. 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 No kidding. Um, you know, much like the guitarist, this list could go for yes. hours. And, you know, we don't want to do that to everybody, mm. but great round of of um choices and it, it's funny that our honorable honorable mentions got overlap more than than uh you mm-hmm. know the actual direct pick so that's yeah, really cool for sure yeah. did, did you guys notice who was oddly absent from the list um getty lee getty lee you nailed it <laughs> <laughs> even i can't do that <laughs> yeah. oh but you know that's funny you say that too because you were talking about how you know some vocalists may not have necessarily the, the perfect voice, but what they do with the songs is great. Mm-hmm. Um, the inverse of that kind of applies too, where there might be a vocalist who technically is sound and sounds good, but you know as a subjective listener, it just doesn't really fit what I'm hearing. Right. And you know I, I don't want to knock on Dream Theater again; they're all fantastic uh, musicians, mm-hmm. but. The singer from Dream Theater sometimes, I mean, I think he compliments the band very well, don't get me wrong, but there are times when I've heard what he's doing, and maybe the the part that he's singing on top of might be lower tuned, a little heavier, and kind of a, you know, a nice driving groove, and at, at times his voice is kind of like nails on the chalkboard just because... You know, he's got a higher range and, you know, what I'm hearing, and this is just me looking to satisfy my own, um, you know, itch, if you Mm -hmm. will. But, you know, it just sometimes it doesn't drive that song for me. Um, But it's funny how that can work. The inverse can apply again. You know, you get guys that, uh, you know, like the singer from DRI, he just kind of shouts mm-hmm. over the music, but it fits that style very yeah. well. Um, when you have, you know, like guys that have kind of that operatic quality on top of metal, sometimes it's a little overboard and doesn't really fit it well. Like That's where I think like Dickinson and, and Dio really fit that mold perfectly because there was grit, there was, you know, somewhat precision, yeah. and, you know, there was passion and delivery. Yeah, so. great point. That's next week's challenge. 
<laughs> What's that? Vocalists who don't fit over the music well? Correct. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Well, my first pick is JPP. I can myself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can sing. <laughs> Excuse me. Sometimes <laughs> I'm a little I'm a little rusty. <laughs> that's right. Uh, but Steve, you mentioned um, Billy Corgan, so I feel like that's mm. a great, a really good segue into our. Re- Absolutely. So Friday, we got the entirety of uh, Shiny and Oh So Bright Volume One LP. No past, no future, no sun. Um, eight songs. We are already had uh, Solara and Silvery Suntimes. Uh, those came out, well, Solara came out <clears throat> around the time that they were touring. And then uh, Silvery Sometimes came out a couple weeks ago. And uh, we did kind of do a small review on that one already. But now we have the whole thing. So we could listen all the way through, um, get some thoughts about the album as a whole and the individual songs. So um, just quick reflection. Um, did you guys dig it? I did. Yeah. Yeah. Paul, you want to start? We'll just work our way back to Steve. Overall, I dug it. I felt like, you know, with with the Pumpkins, they're, they're going to be a solid recording and, and solid songs no matter what. And, you know, maybe it's just me. Um, and maybe it was the week I was having and, and listening to it. But I think that um, there were some really good tunes on there. Uh, particularly the songs that they released, Silvery Sometimes and Solara, were were um are good you know having been familiar with them it was certainly a, a welcome to listen in that regard but um th- i don't know i felt like the opening track knights of malta it started off a little weak to me um kind of had a vintage flair to it um and and you know again this is just me listening to it and 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 going in maybe with a set of expectations and it not being met um you know i tried to listen to it with with open ears but uh I'll call it, I guess, mature songwriting and in that uh, when you've written songs that uh, you've felt in your youth and with that energy and as you've, you know, gotten experienced and, and stretched your um, your imagination and, and continue to embellish and, and grow as a musician, uh, sometimes you kind of seek that uh, extra texture or extra elements that you didn't have in the past and and uh you know i, I kind of feel like maybe that is a part of it in that regard i mean the piano was definitely nice and things like that but it just didn't hit me the way i expected it to and uh i will say that the last three songs especially uh seek and you shall destroy and marching on definitely had some cool vibes and, and riffs going on there um, hey jpp and yeah, can we uh, can we go back to uh, Knights of Malta? Yeah, um, i i had I had some similar feelings about this. Here's people who come into this expecting Siamese Dream or Gish aren't going to get that. You know what I mean? So right. if that's what you're expecting, kind of like the old Pearl Jam thing, you're not getting the first three records anymore. Mm-hmm. If you expect it, you're going to be disappointed. For me, Knights of Malta was nice. I like the string section. I like the gospel singers. Um, it mm-hmm. was a really mellow track, but I guess where I'm kind of confused a little bit is it sounds like it just could have been a continuation of one of Billy's solo albums, which to me says that in the beginning, his total domination of everything that happened within the band just shows that really the Pumpkins are 
Billy in many ways, because this song sounds like a continuation of his solo music, which was a continuation of his Pumpkins music. I'm not so sure how important the band is to making Pumpkin music. If that makes sense. No, I can I can feel that, and you know I I definitely didn't come in looking for Siamese Dream or Gish, but I guess after hearing um, the the songs that they released early, uh, I would have thought that it would have kind of hit right out of the gates with something a little more upbeat, and um, you know it, it didn't do that. It was just kind of like, hey, we're here. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And um, but you know they definitely had some some good songs and and some solid uh riffage if you will mm-hmm. a little later on but uh it, they just kind of took a turn it was it was kind of like the the middle episode if you will where you don't know which side it's going to turn and where it's going to go but you know again having heard the songs that that they released prior it and I knew there was going to be some uh, upbeat elements and and some drive for sure but it was just not at the very beginning okay wait i'm going right. back to i'm going back to nights malta real quick <laughs> because you guys mm-hmm. weighed in uh. I gave that a five, actually. I like, you know, I rate every song. And I'm not, I mean, I'm I'm just weighing in so that it doesn't get too far away so we can kind of compare notes here on that one. But for me, like, it was a little bit of the opposite of what you were saying, Steve. It, And I don't mean that in in a way. You're, you're clearly the, the bigger Smashing Pumpkins fan. But I felt like it was a tight song. And it did sound like, it did sound like a, steady continuation from pumpkins to Billy to back to pumpkins. But I felt like it sounded tighter. Some of my notes were like, I really loved the bass work in that and the guitar work. It had a, like an American prayer doors type vibe to it in some parts, you know, kind of a, that, that kind of line felt like a seventies disco type stuff, um, which yeah. was, which to me was like, wow, they're opening up with something that was pumpkins, but had a little bit of different style. And then the backing vocals, and maybe this is the pink Floyd of me, coming through but you know i love the dark side of the moon especially the backing vocals and that and it had that kind of similar feel buried back there and so anyway my biggest note on that at the end of it was that to me it felt like a really good reintroduction back to the band so Hmm. it's just interesting that that we all had i did like the song i just felt like it was more a billy driven song because it felt like yeah and i didn't hate it <laughs> oh, you guys can feel. I, I really, was, I did like the uh, the background singers a lot. Yeah, because it kind of gave a little gospel vibe to it. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, I mean, I'll start over on mine, but I I didn't hate it, but I I just felt like you know maybe where I was at and, and at the time I was able to listen to it, maybe I wasn't ready to sit down and and ingest it, and you know that can play a factor too because if you've got a lot of things mm-hmm. on your mind or you know laundry list of things you've got to get done and it's like okay I've got to listen to this too, um you know that's the that's the problem we've talked about this before the problem with releases on a Friday mm-hmm. and you know you got weekend with family and all this stuff that you got to do on top of it uh, some. Sometimes it's hard to really sit down and give it a dedicated, um, you know, ingestion, if you will. Uh, You know, I'm not the the teenager who gave up Saturday morning cartoons and now I have other things to do with my free time anymore. (laughs) So, um, you know, I I just maybe if I give it another listen and and, uh, have the free space in my head's a little more clear, I may have a different perspective. But, you know, again, given the, the timing of it all, I was just like, Okay, here we go. And, you know, I will take full ownership of, you know, the mood I had at the time. But, you know, it's uh, uh, it was different than what I expected. Long story. Way too long. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's fine. Uh, like I said, I'm, I think we're all just throwing our two cents in. And 
obviously we're we're gonna like yep. it. We're not some of us gonna like it, and some of us aren't. It's the way it goes. But so, what would you say rating wise, and would you listen to it again as a whole? I, I would give it a three uh, overall. I think you know if if this was the mid '90s and I bought the CD. I think the first song would have really disappointed me, and um, I this would probably be an album that I would put on the shelf for a little bit, and I would end up revisiting a couple months later, or maybe a year later, and saying, "Okay, I, I do like it after all," um, you know. And this is something I, I will certainly have to revisit right. and uh, listen to again, and, and kind of see where it falls in my uh, um, hierarchy of, of uh, you know musical tastes, mm-hmm. but. Um, you know, and I came off of the new Muse last week, and uh, to follow up on that, I was I watched some of their live performances on Fallon and things, and and so you know I was still kind of in that you know vein of of uh, drive and and pulse of music, if you will. Right. So um, you know, I, yeah, I mean, again, I didn't hate it. I think um, it's this is going to be one that I'm going to have to kind of sit on and, and listen to a couple times and and just see where I'm at. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I'll jump in with mine so we can get over to Steve on this, but, uh, and that's a good point. If I would have bought this in the nineties and that was the first track, that's funny because the, the time and place and mood and all that stuff does play into it because I would have been expecting something different and I wouldn't have probably been ready for that. But I, but given the transition that the whole band has taken in, in their musical arc of the whole band and Billy, it felt good to me. So that opening track, I won't regurgitate everything but that was solid for me leading into the silvery sometimes ghost which i felt like was a good throwback sound for them so they were off to a good start um travels was a good song but i felt like it was a little redundant and simple in the scheme of lyrics so that was Mm -hmm. i listened to it but i I didn't throw it in a playlist or anything uh i like is it solara or solara i believe solara okay tomato (laughs) yeah um potatoey I thought that was very good, um, and I like the driving guitars on it. It was nice to see them start to get a little bit more picked up on that, and 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 when the drums needed to come in and drive, they did. Um, Alien Nation, that was probably my second favorite of the whole thing. I thought it had a great opening. Uh, I loved the lyrics a lot and uh, the vocal style, um, and I didn't feel like the chorus like overdid it. Sometimes choruses can just take over and be way too redundant, and I felt like they got in and out on that. Um, marching on, um, it was nice to hear them be a little bit more aggressive again. Um, and at, at about the two minute mark, maybe like one fifty four, I love the guitar in there. So at least go back and listen to that, Paul, if you will. Um, and then with symphony, that with sympathy, that was my least favorite track on the whole thing. I just couldn't get into it. Um, and then I feel like they closed it out with good energy on the album, uh, with the seek and you shall destroy. So. The rhythm was good on that. Overall, I gave it a four out of five, and I would listen to it again. Very cool. I do look forward to, you know, giving it another shot. Um, you know, again, like I said, the, those last three tracks I felt really kind of hit me the mm-hmm. the most. Um, good driving riffs and stuff. So, um, so yeah. I mean, it's still a good solid effort. Maybe my ears are just in a different mood these days. Yeah. No. Nope. Now get off my I was lawn. Say, don't apologize for it, man. <laughs> It's a three for you. That's yeah. all good. Yeah, I hope we don't all like everything we listen to. 
No, yeah, no, no, you know, and just, and I'm not trying to apologize. I just, I myself, I'm just trying to process, you know, where I was because you know, anytime I heard Smashing Pumpkins, couldn't go wrong. I was always really into what I heard, yeah. but and and I'm just kind of taken aback by my reaction is where I'm at. No, with I'm with you. And and uh, in fairness, all of these albums that we're reviewing, we're listening to them like once or twice, and then we're trying to make a review on it. And a lot of music sits with us longer, so yeah, that may change. Right. I'm sure you'll give it another try, but. Oh yeah, Steve, Uber fan. What did you think? Crap! No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yeah. Siamese Dream is probably my favorite album of all time. If I really had to pick one, <laughs> not five like Tony. But anyway, so um, <laughs> so I do always come in with high expectations. Um, I, I haven't loved anything as much as the first three albums since then. Um, like we've already talked about Nights, uh, Silvery Sometimes. Mm-hmm. To me, that does feel like a, a pumpkin song. I think it would fit nicely on um, uh, Machina, Machines of God. I think that album would hold that song perfectly, so I think that really fits well. I like that one a lot. Um, Solara. For me, Solara and Marching On are very similar songs. Um, they are heavy. They are driving. I really like both of them. They kind of feel to me um, like they would be a good B-side or uh, one of their special edition ish- reissues or something like that, where it doesn't quite fit on an album, but it definitely feels like a pumpkin song, something like uh, Hello Kitty Cat or Frail and Be Dazzled uh, when those came out later. Great songs, but really didn't fit an album. That's kind of how I feel about those two songs. Um, Seeking You Shall Destroy, I really like that song as well. Um, uh, in the interview I saw with uh, with Billy the other day, he talked about winners writing the history um, and how sometimes, uh, well, his, the example he gave was that uh, he had gotten in an argument with somebody at MTV and this person ended up writing a book, The History of MTV. And guess who was left out of it? Billy. Not not one mention, even though they were they dominated in the early nineties with their videos and music, mm-hmm. and yet they didn't get one mention in the book. And there's a line in this um about the victors writing the sonnet or something to that effect. I don't have it in front of me right now. Uh, but I kind of feel like maybe he's you know, focusing that song on, you know, they're back. Whether you try to write them out or not, or you, you don't believe in them, they are back, they're together. Um, so I really think that was kind of a statement song. Mm-hmm. And everything that you hear coming from the band right now is that everything is going great. So it looks like maybe you are going to get some more music in the future and an actual album. Because I don't believe they went in to make an album at the time. I think they went in to make a song or two um, for the purpose of adding it to their reunion tour. And it ended up that they made eight songs that they felt were good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. And I also, Tony... Uh, like the uh, lyrics for Alienation. I thought that was really good, too. Yes. So it sounds like the same songs pretty much stood out for us. Um, for me, I'd probably give it a three and a half out of five, um, just because I have such high expectations and I want more. But um, I've already listened to it straight through probably six or seven times, and I will probably continue a few more times. See where it finally rests. Very cool. And, you know, since you mentioned that they had the intention of writing a couple of songs versus a full album, that kind of makes sense. You know, maybe that's where some of that disconnect is. And I feel a little jarred is because, you know, that wasn't a consistent 
theme and a consistent session. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so they probably were at different points when those different pieces were put together. So, um, yeah, that's that's cool. That's good to know. Yeah. I didn't I didn't hear what you said, Paul. I was listening to Knights of Malta. So. <laughs> just kidding well all right that's a pretty good uh i kind of like when the review is divided a little bit on to be honest with you (laughs) not Mm -hmm. that i'm looking for confrontation but this is why i love art in general in all fashions is it's just subjective to the person ingesting it you know yeah okay so the next step is we need to go on facebook and then write comments about it so that way we don't hear our tone and we can get real yes. angry and cause a whole <laughs> in true facebook fashion <laughs> yes yes that's right all right we'll throw in some Fair. religion and politics while we're at it. awesome <laughs> awesome all right well i think that uh brings us to our favorite part of the show and that's where we get to uh learn what we're going to be working on next week so um teabags you are in charge What is the challenge? Well, okay, so I have tried to do some writing um, this week, and I noticed that when I do, I may have told you both this, but I'll just say it so we have it on record, but sometimes when I write, I need to get into a certain uh, mood, and music always does that for me. Music has magically always been able to like transform me somewhat, and so I'll make playlists based on mood, and lately I've been writing up piece that uh, is kind of reliant on being sad, which is a really weird thing to do if you're going into a good weekend and you're like, well, I just need to get myself kind of nice and depressed so I can finish this piece, you know? Um, But that made me think like, well, what is sad to everybody? Because I mean, good music, I think we all have like, even if it's a guilty pleasure, we all have like pop music that we like. It's just feel good. You know, the groove is the groove is good Mm -hmm. and all that stuff. But I think sad music is a little bit more like subjective to your own experiences or, you know. So anyway, I kind of liked what we're doing with these, you know, lists of top five and top four and stuff. And knowing that we're going to have honorable mentions and um, it makes the show a little long, I'll go down to the top three this time. But I would say top three saddest songs of all time for you guys. And, you know, you can throw in some honorable mentions, obviously. Sweet. That yeah, should be a nice and depressing show. challenge. Accepted. Oh, yes, sir. This is an awful <laughs> topic. Are you kidding me? This is going to be so hard. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Lord. Well, part of it is selfish. Like, I, I kind of want to hear other people's songs so I can throw in my playlist. Easy enough. No, this one will be tough for sure. I mean, there's, there's a couple of standout mm-hmm. ones, but I want to make sure that I kind of spread across and, and, you know, do some research and make sure I'm not limiting it to, to one band because that should happen good point and i think that i won't even try to drive it but i think sometimes the song the song itself may not be sad but who or what it reminds you of might be yeah yeah it'll just be interesting to see what you guys bring to the table how you interpret that so cool all right so um for the past week other than what we've talked about tonight um what are you fellas listening to teabags um Okay, I'm listening to a song called Two Shots by Cross My Heart and Hope to Die. A song called Feel Like I'm Drowning by Two Feet. Uh, Horns by Bryce Fox. And then also Ghost Nation by Gary Newman. And Gary Newman is somebody that I've continued to follow. Um, and especially since he and Nine Inch Nails are kind of a... Have this little love relationship going on for years. Um, but Paul and Steve, mm-hmm. of course, but Paul for, for technical electronic crazy reasons, I want you to check out Ghost Nation. 
Okay, cool. You know, um, love Gary Newman. In fact, um, I have an album of his. Uh, I'm forgive me. I don't have the title in front of me because we're just now talking about it. But uh, I saw Kraftwerk in 1998 mm-hmm. um, in Chicago. It was actually the day before that tornado hit in Kokomo hit the school, hit my house, and all that stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. So um, I was out on three hours sleep and went and re- worked at a recording studio the next day and then came home to, you know, <laughs> trees everywhere and windows busted out and all that fun stuff. But the happy memory of that experience, of course, seeing craft work, uh, we went to Tower Records after the show. It was 1130 at night. Tower was still open in Chicago, and we went shopping for music. And um, it's hard for me. I don't know about you guys, but it's hard for me to listen to um, a band after going to see them live, like right after. Um, this kind of feels like, all right, I've had my taste of it for the night. My ears have been blasted. I need to change it up a little yeah. bit. So went surfing through the new wave and electronic section and I came across one at the time Gary Newman's latest release so nabbed that for sure and uh, that you know even after coming home to the the tornado damage and stuff like that that Gary Newman album really kind of um, gave me some um, you know kind of things to keep my mind off of all the visuals around me at that time so that's cool that you mentioned him yeah I listened to uh, su- guys. Surprise, surprise! I, I listened to some of the new Muse. Um, you know, again, they were on Fallon and uh, caught that performance. That was really cool. And uh, they did Pressure live, and it's really cool to see. Um, they had a keyboard player live with them, and they had uh, a horn section as well to um, do the part. The keyboard player was playing a, a tambourine more than he was playing the keyboards, but uh, you know, the singer was doing that lead guitar melody while he was singing at the same time and and pulled it off very Mm -hmm. well. So just always impressive to see when you have a scaled down band and how huge it is with the, you know, accentuated personnel. So that was on my list. And then um, also, you know, speaking of with sympathy, when I heard that song, that actually got me in the mood to pull out ministries with sympathy. Have either of you heard that album before? Yes, love it. You know, it's it's so funny. I actually turned uh, a friend of mine on to that recently. He was completely floored. He, I had no idea ministry sounded like this years ago. <laughs> and and uh, it, it's such a guilty pleasure because, of course, I loved Psalm 69 and, and uh, the heavier stuff. But, you know, what Al was doing before that, it's kind of like what Nine Inch Nails was doing before, you know, Pretty Hate Machine and stuff, too, some mm-hmm. of the poppy elements. But it's such a, a great uh, collection of just tunes that are you know upbeat and and it's vintage synth wave is what it is it's at its core so uh that's been kind of going through my ears every night before bed nice good good call steve what's in your ears well i've been listening to a lot of synth wave no wait a minute i'm not paul (laughs) um now i honestly this week i didn't listen to a ton of extra music other than uh, listening to uh, the Pumpkin songs prior to the release, so I'd have those in the bag, so to speak. But um, this week I found a podcast that really kind of uh, hits hits home for me uh, as an assistant principal. It's called Mind Shift. What does love look like in school? Um, it's just kind of a cool conceptual thing with all of us trying to deal with um, a very different generation of kids and, and discipline and how to affect those kids. So I've been digging into that this week a little bit um, rather than music. Sometimes I have to do that. It's not always pretty, but 
I don't know. It's good. No, that's it's, cool. It's a good find. Yeah. I'll have to check that out too. Just I've been really into uh, throwing podcasts on while I'm doing the dishes or something. I have a podcast recommendation for both of you. I haven't listened to it in a little while, but it's great. Uh, it's called Grown Ups Read Things They Wrote as Kids. Oh, that's awesome. Um, based out of Canada. And, you know, it, it's as far as the the mood of it, it goes everywhere. <laughs> there's some that are absolutely hilarious, mm-hmm. and there's some that you definitely will shed a tear because, you know, they definitely are sharing some of their heartfelt pain at that time in their lives. But, um, you know, it's great just because you kind of, everything you hear, you it resonates with you. It's like, yeah, you know, that, that reminds me of what it was like growing up. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, as a dad now, it, it's, it's kind of refreshing to hear that because it kind of puts you back in that seat. And it's like, okay, this is what the journey is going to be like in, in some fashion. Um, of course, we're in the 21st century now, and it's a, a completely different. But nonetheless, growing up is um, still has its universal elements. So um, always a great listen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll check yeah, that would too. be cool. I'll have to check that out. Put that in the show notes, would you? I will. Next week, um, there are quite a few releases. Um, so I would assume that uh, our listeners could look for Possibly Bauhaus or Kanye West. Who knows? But there are quite a number. So uh, we will post it online what we are going to be reviewing once that decision is made. And then next week you can expect a full review of uh, an album that's released this week. JPP, where can we find you? Uh, right now, you can find me on Facebook at uh, JPP Invasion. If you go to Instagram or even Snapchat, I dabble on there every once in a while. Just Type in Just Plain Paul. I'm easy to find. Um, kind of frequent Instagram more often than not just because, you know, there's definitely a, a cool community of uh, synth waivers on there ser- sharing tunes and really cool artwork as well. So, Tony, as an artist, I think you would definitely appreciate some of the neon and retro art that's uh, popping up Great. on there. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. Cool. Well, Tony, where can we not find you? <laughs> you can not find me on a treadmill. Um, <laughs> I would be... Uh, I, I still want to, you know, if people want to interact on the social media pages, I like want to jump in on the comments and stuff. So let's stick to that for now. And uh, yeah, that's it. What about you, Stevie? Perfecto. Hey, I'll be on uh, Twitter as Foggy's Pal and um, also on Instagram as Foggy's Pal as well. And you can find me at breakthefourth.com, a website that I uh, help write and edit for. And uh, coincidentally, you can find... My review of the Smashing Pumpkins concert uh, from August. I went to see that in Louisville, and I wrote a full review of that, and you can find that if you go over to breakthefourth.com and then click on the Music tab. uh, There is a full review there. Check that out, and uh, leave me a comment um, if maybe you saw it, thought maybe uh, differently about the show, or if you hadn't seen it and just wanted to check out what it was like. So, But I think that's it. Wrapped up another show, gentlemen. Well done. Awesome. And uh, we had two write-ins this week. Hopefully next week we'll have even more. Um, Top three saddest songs. Things that make you sad. If you have those, post them on our social media or send them to us, and we will mention them on the show. Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you here next week. Bye now. Fellow wool gatherers, thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Now it's time to get social. Add us on Instagram at Wanderings and Wool Gathering. If you're on Facebook, you can find our page also at Wanderings and Wool Gathering. If you're on iTunes, please feel free to drop us a review. We'd love to know how we're doing. 
And if you follow us on social, please comment and add to the community. We would love to know your thoughts on the challenges and the music we share. There's lots of music out there and we'd love to talk about it. Thanks again for listening and we'll catch you next week. Thank you.